fight when you have to. But you have to now. Fight now. Fight what you think. Fight what you think. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, it's exciting to be back with you. It's been a little bit. I think it's been since our Alex Jones episode, so we were we recorded together. So, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, good to it have is. you back, Abby. Thanks, Robbie. You've been you've been plugging away. I see doing a couple 9/11 anniversary episodes. Crazy that it's been another year. I know it's it almost. I mean. It was weird when you were like, wow, has it already been a year? And I was like, yeah, it, it felt really weird to me because we poured so much energy into those previous ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did a lot of 9-11 and Anthrax coverage last year um, to the point where probably the most we ever did like on our podcast. So it and I feel like it kind of occupied space for at least like three months or something. So it almost feels like that took up. So it's weird to be back here on the anniversary and kind of went off, off of the whimper this time. It's almost like the 20th anniversary. It's like, we've had enough. This this mm-hmm. is the last hurrah bucket. And then this, the 21st anniversary, just nothing, you know, barely any news coverage about it. Um, I guess the only interesting news that I've heard around either of these anniversaries, Anthrax or 9-11, is that there's a new Netflix documentary about Anthrax uh, that just came out. It has um, it has that guy from Agents of Shield, like the Marvel sh- show. Like he plays Bruce Ivins in it, and everybody's telling me it's not as bad as I think it is. Uh, it has they they leave a bunch of room open in it, I guess, for that that they don't really know for sure who committed the crime. So I guess that's a little bit hopeful. I need to see it myself. Um, but I did notice right after it came out, BuzzFeed put out an article that was kind of a surprising headline that says we may never know who conducted the anthrax attacks. Um, the article that wasn't, didn't have much substance in it. Didn't really bring up anything I thought was new or compelling, but at least that's something, I guess some progress in the direction of people maybe realizing that this crime is sort of unsolved. Um, so you That's know. really surprising, especially coming from BuzzFeed. I'm assuming you're going to watch the film on Netflix and give us Give us a lowdown on it, so I'm excited for that. I did see a funny article coming out from the Atlantic, um, just just classic fucking oh, yeah, media yeah, stuff. Yeah, the yeah. soft the soft bigotry of Bush did 9/11. Oh, I love it. Yeah, no, it's really funny, Abby, because this actually, as you're probably familiar with, started within some more fringe sectors of leftism very early on as a knee jerk reaction to people not fully embracing the idea of blowback caused 9-11 and saying, well, maybe these people had something to do with it. A lot of people, specifically, I remember a guy by the name of Ward Churchill, who was a very controversial college professor who uh, said he was part Native American. There was, like, I guess, some dispute about that. But he originally got in trouble for saying that the 9-11 attacks, everybody who died in the World Trade Center were little Eichmanns. I don't know if you remember this, where... It was one of the most controversial statements from like any leftist after 9-11 that got like blown up in the news. It was like 
basically saying that like the people who worked in the World Trade Center were like Hitler's accountants or like, you know, managerial staff. And then he additionally said later, like several years later, that these like 9-11 truthers are basically like racists who are taking away the agency of Muslims. I will say for myself, there was a hint of racism at times with in some sectors of the 9-11 truth movement. And I'm sure you remember this one very well, Abby, 19 guys with box cutters who lived in caves. That was something that you heard truth or somebody say they would refer to Muslims living or like these terrorists like lived in caves, you know, and I guess that was a kind of a almost like a comedic reference to the fact that the U.S. governments had been Laden had like lived in a cave in Afghanistan. I mean, I'm sure some of those people were saying it in a racist way. Other people probably weren't. But that's that's the, in my opinion, the the most of that I ever got a hint of in the movement. Um, but, yeah, it's it's kind of absurd to make that argument like that is not. I would say the overwhelming majority of people who've questioned these attacks are not looking at it like, oh, Muslims are not smart and early. Like, yeah, Muslims, aren't Muslims capable. are not smart enough. Yeah, boy, well, I just took it away as like, uh, like how dare you take away the agency of how evil Muslims can be. <laughs> that's that's an interesting spin to put on it too. I didn't even, yeah, I didn't think of that. But I mean, there are like, like in the two episodes I just did, doesn't matter that they're Muslim or not. There's so many questions about how these attacks took place that I just think people ought to sit in those questions, not think about, not knee-jerk react against these dumb, you know, some of these dumb truthers in the past who said crazy or, or even sometimes racist things. Just look at what's out there. It's it's quite strange. Um, it is indeed. And that's why the last two episodes I did were called Strange 9-11 Tales because... I was sort of just laying all this information out there in a way that it's sort of it's sort of just creepy and unsettling, especially if you're just willing to bask and sit in the ideas. Like, we don't know really exactly what happened. This is just really creepy. And as far away as we get from the emotional, like, trauma of the event itself, you know, it's becoming more detached as the years go on. And as yeah. more things are happening, and so it's easier to kind of look back and just lay out these bizarre inconsistencies in what we have been told and really just kind of let them sit and, you know, contemplate how strange it all really is looking back on it, Robbie. But I encourage people to check out your episodes. Let's move on. Um, you have done such an incredible like archival I mean probably one of the best archives out there I would say in independent media if not the best if I may say um, of the anthrax attacks as well as just really deep dives into facets of 9-11 that I have never heard before and never seen anyone parse through so I really encourage our listeners to go back in time if you're a patreon subscriber there's an interactive map that my brother did. Well, I wanted to announce actually really quickly that I I decided on the anniversary just to make it public. Um, okay. And so it's now out publicly. Great. It's called the Florida 2001 Attacks Event Map. Um, and if you go to my Twitter page or Media Roots Twitter page, you'll see it. It's a, it, it's a huge jam-packed resource with thousands of addresses, uh, Coming, coming off the work of Daniel Hopsicker, Paul Thompson, um, Graham McQueen, uh, a lot of different people basically made this map possible. But I think that 
a lot of people who are interested in this subject and who want to go deep with it will find this map at least intriguing and maybe even a useful resource for their own digging. So great. Great. Check it out, everyone. Well, Robbie, a big, huge event that rocked the world happened. Um, Really devastating. Her Holy Majesty passed away at the tender age of what was she? 94 years old. Just, you know, these people just live fucking forever um, the fact that she was almost a hundred, you know, really looking back at her entire life, all the legacy, the, the colonial empire that she reigned over, all of the absurd accolades in the press, everyone basically exposing themselves as a sycophant to power and a monarchy, like the most ancient, absurd, <laughs> like representation of all time. And and what's funny is like all of the accolades in the corporate press, all of the positive coverage of her spinning out of control about, you know, she was an ally to gay rights, a secret ally, by the way, because she never came out, Robbie. But secretly, those who knew her knew that she really did support LGBTQ people. But, you know, unfortunately, she she never, you know, put that out there and no, never really saw that allyship come to light. Commenting on her life, her legacy, all the positive triumphs of the British Empire and her her reign of power, all the positive things that happened, but of course, all the negative things. Oh, that's not that's not her fault. That's not the British Empire. You know, you're basically just trying to pull these desperate threads together to just blame the queen it's as if she had some sort of direct power to change these things or put a stop to them. She was just a symbol. She was just a symbol, Robbie, and she was a symbol for good and benevolency um and it's just just absolutely insane i mean it's and what's weird is like there are several monarchies still existing like apparently there's a monarchy in spain which i didn't realize but the british monarchy is different because it's so front and center and i and it's not just like the fact that we're americans and we also like really idolize for some reason the british family and it's in all of our tabloids i think that this is like the way it is around the world still as a remnant of british colonialism and imperialism it's forced into your faces that the brit you know the the fucking queen the king all of the princes and all the fucking it's even forced these, in like, your faces when you don't even go to england you go to that's Can- what people I'm don't saying. realize canada has like, yeah. It's like, I remember one of the first times I went to Canada, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't understand. Like, even as a kid, I was like, I don't understand. Is this like a British, part of the British monarchy? Like, why is the fucking queen on all their fucking money here? Like, what is this shit? It's super bizarre. Um, going to Britain is even crazier because it's like our celebrity worship is is disturbing enough but like if you if you are a british resident everywhere you go there's like you know golden crusted Uh plates of the queen's face and window shops and i mean it really does feel like you're in thailand with like mandatory flags hung up of the king or whatever the fuck or the leader you know in every single like coffee shop or something i mean it's really it's really creepy and ominous actually to realize that this is a monarchy it's not a democracy and even though they have probably a more representational government system than we do, in fact, I know that they do in terms of like the parliament, yeah. the queen still does have like final say. And she does enforce that power. I mean, apparently the royals vetted over a thousand laws um, before they were passed through parliament, even requesting changing some via the queen's consent. 
and you had um, you had King Charles actually sending dozens of letters to cabinet ministers. Just over a seven-month period, I guess, there was almost 30 letters sent to different ministers of parliament basically saying we need to alter this law, this law, change this policy. So, I mean, what else can you really call that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I'm really not even aware of that, but that's that's pretty funny that people it's people want to have their cake and eat it too and be like oh it was just a symbol she didn't have anything to do with anything bad about the british empire so you could separate all that you're just a rude mean-spirited person to celebrate (laughs) the death of this poor old nice lady and it's like where are you getting like how did you move the goalposts that far where you act like this person is purely a symbol i mean like it's just it's weird I mean, there probably actually are governments around the world where there are, like, monarchies that have a lot less power than the UK, you know? But you would never hear an American or British person referring to it that way. It's like they want to they want to have this weird middle ground where they don't think it's, you know, has any consequential effect, but it just means so much to them at the it same time. So you know, it's just them. like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? Seriously. It's really sad when you really just, like, strip away... It- people and you're like oh my god like you're actually just really pathetic like first of all why do you fucking care about this person but um, almost i mean it, it's gonna sound by the like way a, she was 96 oh, okay my bad i mean it almost makes like if 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 americans ever feel inferior to to the british intellect or the british you know constitution then then i guess just lean on this as a way to feel superior and be like <laughs> these people fucking worship a fucking queen like it really is it's, it's absurd. It is. It's beyond absurd. So it really is. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And it's even it's it's even more absurd when you look at like the whole Epstein scandal. And you know, King Charles is now obviously the successor to the Queen, and and the next successor in line is is Prince Andrew, which was the guy who just paid out a twelve million dollars, the equivalent of like twelve million. I guess it's like the same in. Um, Britain because the pound is basically the dollar right now. But yeah, Epstein's super close friend, sex trafficker, settled. Paid paid out this huge settlement. What was that? Yeah, he settled. Yeah, settled. Yeah, Sorry, he settled. No. Yeah, yeah. He paid out this enormous settlement and it just was hush hushed. And now he's like pretty close to like taking over the entire monarchy. That's what dude, that's what is <laughs> like, so fascinating to me about I know you you put on here t- what Tucker Carlson had to say about it, where he was, you know, praising the Queen. But I was especially surprised to see Paul Joseph Watson acting really butthurt, and anybody expressing any negativity about the Queen after she died. He was even upset about how she died and why that wasn't more of a question, even though she was ninety six years old. Um, what do you mean? Like he was like being like almost like acting like people didn't care or maybe there was even a conspiracy to kill her or something like <laughs> what? Yeah. So, anyways, I guess my point is that that these people they were some of the most vitriolic about the like royalists, the British royalty being involved in sex trafficking or just english government figures being involved in sex trafficking years and years ago i mean i mean infowars used to talk about that all the time so it's really surreal all of a sudden when prince andrew is one of the most exposed epstein associates like you just said he paid he paid at a 12 million dollar settlement if that doesn't scream i'm guilty and want to make this go away immediately i don't know what else does that's a, a not not a, no other epstein victims or associates have done that so it's shocking 
how much, just how hypocritical and phony these people are to be like, worship the queen and act so sad when she died. And then, and then don't even like mention, you know, how crazy it is that this guy who's like a, basically a pedophile is going to become, is going to inherit the throne. Well, it's weird to see these people twist themselves in knots because they don't really know. I mean, even if he did feel some sort of ire against the British monarchy, like he used to go on these rants, like you said, tying these people to sex trafficking and all the corruption and all that. It's uh-huh. like now they're odd. It's like they almost just need to override all that to speak to their audience that they've generated, which is just like hardcore uh, nationalists, patriots, you know, these people who do think the queen was great and that British colonialism and empire and all of that is just fantastic. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is this sort of almost like them taking another, you know, I guess let's just say as ridiculous as this position they're taking is, it's like the one of the more nuanced positions they take in a sense because it's like all they do is talk about railing against the elites but yet this type of elite and monarchy like queen and the royal family is like somehow like that fits into their nationalism box, like nationalism, symbol, pride, dude. patriotism. But then like the rest of it are the elites, you know, for them to be. It's just it. all symbolic, Robbie. It, she didn't really do anything. She didn't represent anything evil or bad. She was just a, a symbol of a nice little old lady who just was, you know, just an uber patriot um, symbolizing how great British society was. It's almost like a make America, make Britain great again. Like it, it, it seems to, they're sort of using it like that. Like it's like a representation of like the good old days or the, you know, like when things were good and pure and whatever. It's like a, I mean, it's, it's very cartoonish. Well, it's interesting too, because when you really like, I never really looked into how, extensive and wide-reaching the British Empire was and continues Mm -hmm. to be because I'm so focused on the American Empire. And it really is, like, fascinating when you look back. Yeah. Um, Because it's still... I mean, right now, the British crown legally owns one-sixth of the Earth's surface. 6.6 billion acres of land across the world. They are still the colonial, like... um, shareholders of like several countries yeah you know they still symbolically oh yeah i will um so right now like barbados basically removed itself um Mm -hmm. recently and right now the bahamas antigua barbuda um those are all officially still like owned you know by the british monarchy um, they are looking to break away as well. Barbados was actually the first society in human history that was built totally on the basis of slavery. The, most extensively, obviously, the British Empire ravaged, destroyed India and, and a large swaths of Africa. You know, during the Berlin Conference, when all these colonizing powers basically carved up Africa for themselves in the late 1800s, uh, the British Empire took a large slice of the cake and ended up just completely destroying huge segments of of Africa. I mean, namely in Kenya, there were 1.5 million people in concentration camps. Um, People have been very quick to say, oh, that, you know, that, how dare you blame like the queen for this? Well, she was in her 30s when this, when this genocide was taking place. Her picture, her picture hung in every detention camp in Kenya as these detainees were being tortured and beaten to basically exact their loyalty to the crown. 
it's so insane when you really look at the vast expanse of territory that was acquired and colonized by Britain. And of course, this has changed because countries form and dissolve over time. But um, I really want to give you a sense of how, how crazy this is. So there are 195 countries right now. Only 22 countries in the world were not invaded or colonized by the British Empire during its reign. <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of puts to shame uh, the U.S., right now when you really look at like you know the legacy of british colonialism like extended you know longer than than the u.s empire at its peak so it's pretty pretty impressive shit man um it is and it's classic you know colonialism um you know the british empire mean it almost means something different than the american empire mm -hmm, even though mm -hmm. there's sort of a large in a larger sense it's similar it's very similar they they follow a different template you know, like the British Empire sort of was ending or, or I let's say ending, it didn't really ever end, but that it fits a different template of, histor of history. Whereas our empire, you know, is sort of in this new economy, this global economy. It's like a new, a new system in a sense, even though a lot has a lot of the same consequences. Um, so, you know, I, I think for a lot of people, not our listeners, but a lot of people probably don't even understand that America has an empire. They can maybe see in their head because it fits a historical model that Britain did or does. But right. they don't they're not able to apply that same logic to us because there's differences that they can't like process. Yeah, there's sophistication in terms of the model and the implementation of empire today, the adoption of different rhetoric, the folding into global structures, economic structures, the use of sanctions, the quote-unquote soft power, all of these things that enforce the U.S. power around the world is totally different. I mean, British was so the British Empire was so blatant. It was like just going and planting your flag, tor you know, rounding up these people, stealing their resources very blatantly. It was kind of like how the U.S. did at the initiation of the American Empire in the '50s. Um, but now it, it it has morphed, you know, and it's so globalized that it that it is hard, and it is largely hidden. I mean, back during the 50s, um, FDR, you know, when when Pearl Harbor was bombed and stuff like they were they were so proud of their new acquisitions around the world that they actually wanted to rename the United States Imperial America um, <laughs> because they were so happy about yeah. it. They were just like the United States of America does not make sense anymore because it because we have so much more land than just these 50 states. Yeah. So why are we not just like boasting the fact that we're this growing power? Um, but now it's like an embarrassment, you know, and that's why everything's folded into like human rights and democracy and no longer just that, that virulent anti-communism, how we need to have that Cold War mentality. Um, you know, when I was in Ireland, I really I'm, I'm really sad I didn't go to Northern Ireland, which, of course, is was infamously occupied by the British Army. Anyone who's seen that movie, The Wind That Shakes the Barley incredible fucking film what is really, it i never heard of it oh my god it's just an incredible film was it about, old i think it was in the 90s if i'm oh, not okay. mistaken um let me look it up this is about it's like a a, a retelling of that occupation is it like a period oh my piece? god it was 2006 wow that's oh, how no old, that's how old things seem when yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just 20 years old but yeah the wind that shakes the barley incredible drama 
um, starring Cillian Murphy, that really awesome Irish actor who's just super oh, yeah. badass, who uh, was in a bunch of memes, you know, the Irish will never forget. All the, all the, the football players and all this shit just chanting like, she's in a box, <laughs> Lizzie's in a box and shit after the queen died, just like really hardcore shit because the Irish won't forget. And and it's such a recent history of, of the horror that took place. And, and that movie really does lay it bare. I encourage everyone to check out that movie. If there's one thing that you really need to understand about the reality and the brutal hardships that Irish people faced under British colonialism and occupation because it, it was very and this is why they have such a kinship with Palestine Irish people because it is so similar you know these people were violently being expelled from their homes um, terrorized on a regular basis forced to turn on each other become spies um, shot in front of their families just crazy crazy shit that was going on that really is shocking when you realize how, and it, it is a little difficult to parse through because it is, it was kind of like based on this sectarian conflict between Protestant and um, Roman Catholics. Yeah, know, but it nationalists. became, it became very much wrapped in the, the independent struggle. Like it was, that was sort of the overlay of it, but like underneath of it, it was like the British government understood that it was like one of the more, you know, powerful engines of like the, yeah, Basically, they fueled it. Yeah. They fueled and, it because the Unionists wanted to be the loyalists of the United Kingdom. So they were the ones who were defenders of the UK and wanted to be like absorbed into the UK. Whereas the Roman Catholics wanted Northern Ireland to secede. And there's also a lot of deep-seated um, paranoia. And I guess some people would see, perceive it as like conspiracy theorist thinking among people in Ireland towards... Um, the UK government, that they have a much more cynical view of what the UK government is capable of, including things like um, UK intelligence basically conducting bombings and blaming it and basically doing false flag bombings and blaming it on the IRA. There's a lot of people over there who believe that that's what happened. It is so, what happened. Yeah. It absolutely so, is. So there's like... So it's even more similar to some of the craziness of like Israel-Palestine when you really go back to that period where it's like... There was a lot of weird cloak and dagger stuff where, you know, it's really hard to tell how much of that was, you know, as it's appeared in the news or how much of it was actually done by the UK government. I mean, it's, and that's it, a whole rabbit hole, but yeah, oh, it's yeah. pretty fucked up. No, I, I've been wanting to do something on it forever and it's, and I, and I still do. And it is, you know, it's never been more timely, of course, with the Queen's death and this new chapter of like a reckoning of British colonialism. But yeah, I mean, it's so true, Robbie. I mean, the demonization of the IRA as a terrorist organization when really it was a resistance group. I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of nuance there, but like what, you know, it's just like so cartoonish when you just look back at what we've been told about the situation. Even one of my favorite artists, the Cranberries, you know, growing up and kind of both sides in all of this and, um, you know, Thousands of people died. I Wait, mean, they both sides it really? I mean, kind of. Where it was just like wasn't really it wasn't really taking a firm stand with the song "Zombie" about. Interesting. You know. Yeah. One way or the other, it was just kind of like all all war is bad kind of I stuff. See. Um, but I mean, thousands of people died there, and the Queen oversaw oversaw this period. You know. Oh, I forgot to mention the fact that the British monarch is still the head of state in Tasmania. 
where the indigenous population was almost totally wiped out by the British Empire. Robbie, what's so funny about all of this, when you look at the Queen's death, not only people like Paul Joseph Watson trying to whitewash her legacy and actually, you know, be offended that people are saying this is, you know, this is disgusting, the chapter that she reigned over of British Empire, but Tucker Carlson, this so-called anti-imperialist renegade hero, this populist figure who is anti-war, who lambastes the MIC and the U.S. empire, he had the most, I would say literally out of all of the corporate media figures out there, he had the most racist fucking crazy rants whitewashing the British empire I have heard yet. To the point where it it incited so much ire from like Indian columnists that they were just like, what the fuck? Okay, I was going to guess. like I didn't see it, but maybe I was going to guess. Does he talk about how much the people in these um, imperial colonies actually love the British and how most of them actually don't, they they love their experience and how it's just like the whiners who like complain about. I mean, you should honestly watch the India one, but I'll just read, I mean, we can we can watch and there's two links in here if you want to just throw in quick, quick clips because it is really insane. Um, okay. There's one of them about Africa not being grateful. Is this the Media Matters one? Yeah, play, let's play that at the same time. It's only, it's only a... Uh, Okay, I'm going to play it. To this day, Britain claims to have won both of the 20th century's world wars, but together they destroyed that nation forever. After victory came humiliation. The empire evaporated, and along with it, Britain's self-confidence and ultimately its self-respect. It's hard to believe now, but Britain wasn't always a regional banking center slash refugee camp. It was a real place with a what history and a fuck? language and a culture and a genuinely <laughs> remarkable people. Refugee A country in the North Atlantic the size of Alabama that somehow took over the world and ruled it with decency unmatched by any empire in human wow. history. The British Empire was not perfect, but it was far more humane than any other ever. It's gone wow. now, barely this even is... remembered. Queen Elizabeth II oh was God. the last this is living such a Robert to Kagan-esque. a truly Great Britain. Yeah. Today on social media, the usual wait, ghouls wait till you see what comes death. next. Quote, may her pain be excruciating. A Carnegie Mellon professor called Uju Anya wrote on Twitter of the Queen. May she die in Uju agony. Uju Anya, he did, he, like, Various know-nothings in the media, yeah, including yeah, a columnist like at the it. Atlantic and a couple of employees of the NBC News. The ghouls are gloating over her death. Thought. The British Empire was evil, they wrote, apparently totally unaware of what came after it. What came after of, what it, Robbie? did come after the British Empire? How, for example, did Africa fare after the British left? Let's see. Uganda got Idi Amin, who was a cannibal. Rhodesia (laughs) became Zimbabwe and then became the poorest country on the planet under the racist lunatic Robert Mugabe. As of tonight, South Africa is still being run into the ground by an incompetent kleptocrat called Cyril Ramaphosa. Yeah, South Africa, he's defending apartheid! So it's hard to see any of that as an improvement because it's not an improvement. (laughs) Sorry, Atlantic Magazine. And now, of course, the entire continent of Africa has a new master, the Chinese government. China is the latest colonial power to dominate Africa. Its subjects will be pining for the British soon, assuming they are not already. Okay, stop it there. Wow. So really incredible wrap up there by just saying like China will be, you know, it's harsh. so many layers As the new of racism. colonial ruler. He I know, hits, it's so crazy. It's like, He hits yeah. the first checkbox, which is like, Britain used to be great before it was a fucking shithole with all these fucking Muslims. <laughs> and then he goes on to say... <laughs> that the British Empire was was an empire and it ruled with a stern fist, but it was the nicest one that ever existed. So, you know, all the people who got their legs cut off and, and stuff from like not 
doing shit right, like in India or whatever, like they just need to suck it up because it was still better than what existed before. And then he ends by saying that China, you know, is this like foreign infiltrator that's, oh, but I mean, of course, the biggest racist part was he goes through the, the African, you know, what's happened to yeah. Africa since. Yep. It's just, it's un- insane that anybody on the left would be like at any point being like, this guy's really sticking it to the man. Like, it's how so could- fucking <laughs> just, crazy, it's dude. Nuts. I can't believe it's it. It's so fucking crazy. I mean, I'm not even going to subject you to the India yeah. one, but he essentially just says, India became civilized by the British. He says when the British pulled out of India, they left behind an entire civilization, a language, a legal system, schools, churches, public buildings, all of which are still in use today. He said that the English took their colonial responsibilities seriously, Robbie, because they ruled the world with a decency unmatched by any empire in human history. And then he ceded to just be like, look, Strong countries dominate weak countries. That trend hasn't changed, as if it's just like the way that it is, like that hierarchical yeah. human nature that Jordan Peterson promotes. Um, and then he and then he goes on and on and on by saying, you know, after 75 years of independence, what has India produced? Have they produced a single building as beautiful as the Bombay train station the British colonialists built? No, sadly, it has not done anything. It's like, holy fuck, dude. I mean, all these Indian, like, I mean, it's just so insulting on so many fucking levels, especially when you consider the British Empire ravaged India perhaps the most egregiously out of all of the um, colonial subjects it it oversaw. Um, When you look at you know, an economist who came out a couple of years ago with this incredible study that showed if you take inflation into account and two centuries of detailed data on tax and trade and what the British drained out of India, it, it amounts to $45 trillion, $45 trillion over roughly a 200-year history of British rule there, um, where during the last half of the 19th century, Um, income collapsed in half, the average life expectancy plummeted, and tens of millions of people died from policy-induced famine there. $45 trillion stolen from India and siphoned into British empire. I mean, I, this is proven. This is all proven data. And, and several economists have corroborated this. So to hear Tucker Carlson make these outrageous statements apologizing when he's heralded as some sort of anti-imperialist figurehead is just quite shocking honestly it's strange to know or to try to assume or to get into his head to think of what does he actually believe versus like the rhetoric he's putting out there like what i wonder what in his mind you know he thinks about when america broke away from england as being a colony what it did that was like great greater Mm -hmm. or as great to him that like england accomplished it's I'm just curious what he means by that, you know, like, I don't know, it's, it's odd. I mean, I guess we could all say that, you know, that Egypt was actually, we're all living in the shadow of this great empire because nobody's built anything as cool as the pyramids or the, (laughs) which in some ways is true. Like we, like, has any, has anybody in any society built any modern structures that are as badass as the pyramids or like any of the temples in like fucking Egypt? Like, no. So like... (laughs) I feel like, I mean, that there's a reason why that's so famous. So I guess if he, if that's our marker, then we all are living in, um, we're all cucks, you know, like living in this, like, 
like it was better off when um when Egypt ruled. I I mean I don't it's just so strange. I don't understand these uh these arguments, but at the same time he sounds an awful lot like Robert Kagan, the neocon that he actually writes about in his book as being like one of the most arrogant people that he ever knew while working for the Weekly Standard. So <clears throat> I just don't, I'm just kind of just confused. Um and it's so funny just seeing um just seeing all these people who like should know better, you know, like people like Paul Joseph Watson, even though he's like totally a lunatic. It's just like so funny to see him. And he didn't even like the first picture that he posted was just like the queen looking all like regal. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, what the fuck? Like, what is wrong with you people? Honestly. Even Alex Jones We're, makes and, fun and, of him occasionally now, because I guess this has been an issue with Paul Joseph Watson for a while that he's been more... What, sucking the duck? Yeah, <laughs> sucking the duck. Of the queen. I mean, it is weird how more... I mean, I think that... I don't want to say that I that I hit on a really good point earlier, but I feel like the <laughs> the thing I said about how they figured out a way to plug this into like nationalism and patriotism and right, not the right, elites. Right, right. Like it's almost like the elites are the ones celebrating her death. Like that's kind of almost like the Right, right, right. That's what Tucker and it said. It does feel sort of like it's just it's so it's odd that they found this little wiggle space to get into where they can celebrate the legacy of this while still seeming like they're anti-elite. I, I just find it kind of fascinating. Well, it's, it's kind of a conundrum that they've walked into because on one hand, they want to pretend like they're like the true anti-war people. Yeah. But at the same time, they they like want to paint the woke elites like who are adopting all this like wokeism and like anti-Americanism as like the real power players exactly. who are like the most influential. So it's like, how, how do you parse the, that together? You know, so these people who are like, like it's made, it's like popular to now like condemn the empire. And so how do you reflexively, you know, be a contrarian against that while you still maintain your anti-war credentials? It's difficult. To well, do. I mean, I was just having a conversation with a libertarian person just about this whole idea. It's like, the idea of what being anti-war means now is just so surface level, like barely has any substance behind it. I mean, talk to any of these people who take this sort of populist MAGA stance about war, what's underneath their opposition to, you know, Ukraine, what's underneath their opposite. It's like, it's never about killing people in our name. It's never about the morality of it. I, I really just don't think there's much substance to it. I mean, it is, war does not pull, favor, uh, pull favorably in general. If you pull everybody in the America and say, do you like war? Most people <laughs> say no. It's not a partisan thing. In a general sense, most people can agree that they don't like war. But it's like if you, you but you have to have something more than that to actually be like anti what's going on in this current paradigm. So I don't know. I mean, I've we talk about this all the time. We don't need to. I know. But. Well, it's also funny, just just the last thing that I'll say about Britain right now, it's like, it's so funny because you would think that all these like anti-police state people who pretend to be like anti-government and shit would be more outraged instead of like bending over backwards to apologize for British colonialism and shit and worship the queen. They would be like outraged that people are being arrested and detained for literally doing nothing. Like one guy oh, yeah. held up a blank piece of paper. One guy was like followed home for just holding up a blank piece. No, of I mean paper. it's too it's too rude. I mean, how dare yeah. you? I mean, no, of course nobody's gonna fucking complain about like people's free speech being violated for for that reason. I mean, someone like Paul Joseph Watson probably is like good. Like that was really rude. Yeah, right. 
And some guy carrying groceries home that had a, had a carton of eggs in it. And they arrested him because they were like, this is indecency to the peace. Oh, or because something. you're supposed to a like. breach of the peace. What, what was the thing you're supposed to like warn? You're not supposed to leave the house or something? What, what? Oh, yeah. That was that was one whole other thing. The National Day of Mourning, how ca- people's cancer appointments were getting yeah. terminated. Like people who like are like on the brink uh-huh. of like life and death. They oh, were, yeah, like, yeah, need yeah. Treatment. Like Oops. that was fucking nuts. Yeah. Sorry, dude. Just you're gonna have to perish just like the queen. And it's also funny how taxpayers are gonna pay for her funeral, even though they're like these billionaire landowners. But one thing that you just said just sparked my memory of you know, remember Lauren Southern, the crazy white nationalist lady who was wearing a t shirt saying it's okay to be white. Blocked the boat and blocked the boat, shot the the um, flares at the refugee boats with Luke Radowski, went and did a big tour about the genocide going on in South Africa against white farmers with Stefan Molyneux yeah. um, in Australia and stuff like that. So she left politics, I think, two years ago to have a family, kind of did an abrupt departure, um, and it was just kind of strange. It was like, I guess it's not surprising because she just seemed like a grifter. She made a video basically saying that she kind of got wrapped into this hysterical political climate and she, she didn't really, she wasn't happy with a lot of the stuff she did before. It was kind of, yeah, it was like acting like not taking responsibility for what she did and acting like she was moving on. And then she just back at the same exact bullshit. If you look at her YouTube channel now, it's just the same shit. Like maybe slightly toned down a little bit more. Yeah. It's like slight, but very slightly. But I watched uh, per someone in the Discord recommending to watch the whole tell-all because she does have one giant tell-all. Yeah, yeah, that's the one back. I remember watching. Yeah, and it's and it's totally insane because I would argue she doesn't actually apologize for anything that she did. In fact, she reiterates <laughs> over and over again that she is not, she doesn't regret anything oh, okay. she did, and she still basically believes in everything. Yeah. The only thing that she kind of like gave a little bit of leeway for was like how misogynist men are because remember her first event ever was like a Breitbart sponsored event with Milo Yiannopoulos where she went to the slut walk in Los Angeles holding a sign saying rape culture isn't real and regret isn't rape and um, she tells the story that the very first encounter that she had with like a fan who flew her out somewhere to host to basically sponsor her trip to do coverage like this was a guy who tried to fuck her and basically tried to get in bed with her and said like I got you this Airbnb so I can sleep in this bed and she was just like oh my god like what's going on it's like yeah dude this is this is it baby like what do you fucking think this shit is dude that's pretty fucking funny damn dude and so she like she clearly was like rattled by that. And she was like, you know, these feminists are so crazy. And she, of course, shows all these like outrageous clips of women being like, all men should be killed, you know, like the most crazy yeah. shit like that. But it's just like, dude, this, yeah, misogyny is real, baby. Like, I'm sorry that you uh, had to experience the hard way, but maybe you shouldn't have gone out there balls to the wall with like the most like the most inflammatory shit that you possibly could. And what's also funny is she she details all the men who denounced her, especially when she had this big departure and who also like threw her under the bus and all essentially just says like, they all tried to sleep with me and I rejected them. And that's why they did this, including ding, 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 Paul Joseph Watson. Remember when he came out there and he was like, of course I've been inside of her. Um, all oh, this that was crazy really, I forgot shit. about that. Wait, where yeah. did that, did that, yeah. did he post it on Twitter? 
I think yeah, so. Yeah, that was really, I almost felt like he was having like a break. Like that was really almost out of character for him to say anything like that. But like we heard, the, I don't know if you heard the um, little recording I or the recording of him where he's actually like going on like a bizarre racist rant about how he hates the Jews. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. at a party, someone He says N-word, faggot. Like he, he pronounces <laughs> that word really weird. He, the whole thing is weird because like, it's almost like, well, is that actually what he really feels like? Because he's never said anything like that in public. Right, right, You know, right. he's obviously racist, but he's never, he's been very careful about. So anyways, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is very interesting. I mean, I, th I tend to think that, yeah. I mean, if he was trying really hard to bang Lauren Southern, I mean, I think that he really is a very disgusting anti-Muslim racist, anti-black racist and potentially hates Jews too. The fact that this is who he really is. I mean, it, it's just so emblematic of like all these people who are in this scene. It's not surprising at all to me that Paul Joseph Watson went on it. This is what happened, according to her, that they went on one date as they go back to her house and he was just like expecting that they would just have sex. And she was like, no, like I want something serious. And then he just like flipped the fuck out, <laughs> like immediately just like a switch flipped and he would just like hated her from that moment forward and just started spreading all these vicious lies about her posting all this crazy shit and she was just like she she keeps calling it a coke fueled rage wow so obviously they like did coke together and she's probably like scared that he's uh -huh. gonna like reveal her or something so she wanted to preempt it but i mean so clearly he's just like a crazy incel type guy not incel in the sense that he can't get laid but he just like hates women yeah he hates women and he expected that he would just have sex with whoever, you know, he, he wanted to and she wouldn't do it. And so then, you know, then he went off and was just like, of course I've had sex with her. Just all this crazy shit. She shows some of these text messages that he sent her and it's like really disturbing. I mean, it's really unhinged stuff. Do you want to go into some of those or do you want to? I mean, no, I, I, I don't even bother watching this. I mean, I... That was pretty much the only juicy part of this. The other juicy part is just what a complete sociopath Milo Yiannopoulos is. And even though he's totally irrelevant now, he is working in the congressional office of Marjorie Taylor Greene. So I don't know if he's going to have some sort of comeback Wait. or if he's trying to gain power. Can you just reiterate yeah. really quickly? How are they? Are they just working together or is she actually working like with in Marjorie Taylor Greene's? No, no, no. She's not. Milo Yiannopoulos okay. is. So they're just... So Lauren Southern is just doing her own thing in Canada still. Okay, so yeah. Milo, she she basically does... The whole video is essentially a tell-all on how psychotic Milo is. That he's a backstabbing sociopath who's a pathological liar who stole all this money. He had like a scholarship for like poor white people. Like all I these remember weird, that, yeah. grifty type things that he money. would just... He essentially he pocketed everything. All of it was fake. And, and it, we may forget because time passes so quickly and the news cycle is so rapid now, but like he was promoted and uplifted by like Bill Maher. Oh, like yeah. he was all over the fucking news. He was like on mainstream mm -hmm. media all the time. Like it was yeah. nuts, dude. Like all of these glowing profiles about him all over corporate media, um, really crazy stuff. He was dude. one of the biggest, I think, representatives of that, that, the edgelord version of the MAGA movement yeah. in the same vein as Gavin McGinnis that is actually less common now in this MAGA, you know, post-Trump era, but it, it really meant something. It was a really big, I mean, it's really big influencing force uh, at the time. And he really did yeah, get I mean, he, he uplifted was, everywhere, yeah. strangely. I mean, it was, 
he was getting a lot of free press coverage for a long time. Um, so, yeah, he was the gay, stylish, um, MAGA new yeah. right guy. Who Mostly wanted to profile from the people who hated him too. They were really giving him a lot of, I think, an right, unnecessary right, right. amount of coverage to the point where it's like you almost like help make him. It's like, oh yeah, it's like a yeah. Trump. They so yeah. it had a similar. Thing. And he would yeah. do those really crazy stunts where I still think he was doing hoaxes in some of them, but he would actually do this where he would go to live events and then call ice like on stage and put his cell phone on speakerphone <laughs> and say he's reporting his <laughs> landlord because he thinks she's an illegal immigrant. And he would be like laughing and do, almost like acting like it was a comedy bit, but then he would actually right, call right. ice. But at a certain point, it's like you keep, like, and I've actually seen him do the same bit about the same person before. And I'm almost wondering, like, did he ever get in trouble from the feds for, like, filing false reports? Or did he have a fake person he would call and be like, hey, just pretend you're ICE when you answer the phone? Like, like it actually seemed like it could have been a hoax. I, But I still don't really know. I mean, it could have been just mm -hmm. as vicious as it looked. But I, he's such a liar that when I look back on some of those things, I'm like, did he actually do that? Or was he trying to get people to be outraged and come for him, you know, because it was like he fed off of this negative attention to such an extent where it almost makes perfect sense how he's Marjorie Taylor Greene's, you know, I don't know if he's helping her write tweets or whatever, but like it definitely seems like she's got someone, um, you know. Oh, no, I, I absolutely think he is part of the brains behind yeah. her marketing. It makes sense. I, I really, because she's, she's dumb as fucking rocks. If you look at like some interviews that she did before she got elected, it's like really crazy. But now she does have carefully crafted things that she's putting out there that do seem to hit the reptile brain to cause her to be like the figure of the day, which is kind of the Trump modus operandi. And, and that's what you saw with her whole. Um, call to abolish the FBI in the wake of this federal raid into Mar-a-Lago. And it was just really strange because exactly as all of us who had working brain cells thought, Robbie, there was no follow-up, right? She's a sitting congresswoman. Where is the legislation? All of these people who are calling to work with actual fascists wearing shirts that say Pinochet was right, throwing communists out of helicopters. Marjorie Taylor Greene's entire campaign was based on anti-communism, shooting the word socialism with an assault <laughs> rifle. Um, but what's so funny, it's like, sure, um, you know, if you want to be like, a, if you want to pose a scenario where like Dennis Kucinich signs a, an audit the Fed bill alongside Ron Paul, sure, that makes sense. But why who, Why am I going to work with with a Marjorie Taylor Greene type fascist in my neighborhood. Like what, where is that going to get me as someone who wants me dead? But like, what's funny is that Marjorie Taylor Greene never did follow up with this publicity stunt with actually any proposition of legislation or any movement in Congress whatsoever. It was just a tweet and everyone just ran with it. And that was that Robbie. What's well, it's so fascinating that there's this Twitter mentality where it's like, you're the one playing purity politics and being divisive for not seeing someone like her as an ally when it's like she literally made commercials about murdering socialists. <laughs> like, what do you, <laughs> you I, we're the ones being divisive? Are you sure you have that right? It's just fascinating that it gets turned around back on people like us who see a line in the sand where we don't see these per this person as legitimate. And even if we did, like, even if we believed that she was actually, like, anti-imperialist somehow, 
even if we believe that, it's still how do you square that with her like extremely anti-socialist and like racist views, anti extremely Islamophobic views? How do you how do you square all that together? Well, I guess we square it together because someone like Tulsi Gabbard became super popular in the anti-war movement and she actually was racist, very Islamophobic, somehow very uh, effectively anti-war to people perceptually, but yet she was very Islamophobic and believed in the war on terror. So I just feel like the bar is extremely low still. It just keeps getting lower and lower as to what we're supposed to see as a sign that these are allies or something. It's like, no, like you are fucking, your, your standards just gotten so fucking low is the only way I can really articulate it. Well, it's like a psyop being done on us yeah. because these people are deeply unserious. I mean, is Marjorie Taylor Greene serious about abolishing the FBI? Of course not. If she was, she would take initiative in Congress and do something. But it was all just a talking point to throw out there. It was like a bomb that went off. The terminally online left was dividing upon itself about like, oh, we should just seize this call, this deeply partisan call. I mean, I even saw people saying... Here's how to tell who's serious about abolishing the FBI. Go out there right now at this moment and start an, an anti-FBI or an abolish the FBI rally. And it's like, wait a minute. Okay, look, uh, we don't need to go into the history of COINTELPRO, Leonard Peltier, all of these political prisoners who are in prison because of COINTELPRO and FBI operations. What's interesting is why would we take the moment where Trump is being investigated? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, why, why is this the moment that we need to instigate that we need to take the initiative because on, like, Abby, taking this call seriously. For some reason, the only way we can we can create change is by ceding ground to the right and letting them frame everything and letting them, waiting for them to finally be ready for these little snapshots of being temporarily against the FBI for a week while they're outraged about the Trump raid. Like, it just really does seem like we're there's a lot expected of us to not just concede ground but also just like lay down and be a fucking doormat to these people like it's like how far do you want this to go because it's it's not it does really does not seem like it has anything to do with maintaining your ground and position it really does seem like you're asking us to concede a lot and even just the fbi coin telpro thing let's say that there was a genuine belief that the right was ready to start being anti-fbi okay if that's your position then why are you also conceding the idea that like racism is an is an issue? Like to explain people the history of like COINTELPRO and the FBI or why the FBI is bad, you need to explain to them why the, you know, going after communists and Marxists was a witch hunt. You need to explain to them why going after the Black Panthers was like a witch hunt and it played into like the deep state or whatever you want to call it. Like so if those people are unwilling or completely refusing to even acknowledge that there is systematic racism on any level, then what, I just don't understand what these, what are you trying to tell us yeah, to do? Yeah, where are we going? Yeah, yeah. where are we going to go from here? But it's just funny. You don't even see an effort being made to be like, you know, I I do believe that some of these right wingers are in good faith and I am going to convince them. I think they're ready to hear that the Black Panthers were actually like on the side of good. You know, like you don't see anybody willing to stick their neck out and say something like that because it's unbelievable. When you take it that far, it is just simply not a believable strategy. But it's like that's it's like it seems like overall they're asking us to, you know, just I don't know. It's I don't know if I'm making sense, but it's no, no, you are. I mean, it all is it's it's 
it's reaching the right like okay so i've seen people try to debunk this claim by saying this is ridiculous um we should reach the working class where they're at and it's like i agree with that that's why we're not talking about our relatives or whatever or or you know neighbors or colleagues or co-workers who maybe voted against Hillary yeah, Clinton or in 2016. That's not, that's not, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's not who this is about. This is about specific fascist figures who say provocative things that then are like bait, you know, and that's really strange to me. And it's like, dude, or like working with like proud boys or people who like explicitly want to kill. Well, communists. it's just an extension like, of Trump. It's, it's like very strange. There's still people on the left who will say that he was, he was doing all these Good things, and then like they don't like to mention because the libs talked about it too much. All the really crazy and bad things he did that were really scary. I mean, it, it's similar to that. It's like why are you cherry picking these things that sound good on paper that were are not followed through on, and just ex- getting excited about those and then not actually addressing the substance of what's going on? Like that's not to me. It's just not a serious engagement with politics. So if it's about reaching the working class like that's unserious like you can't just deny reality and then be like what do you why aren't you working with the working class like no you're literally just wholesale denying reality and then trying to browbeat me and acting like i have too high of standards or like i'm right and also (laughs) it's an erasure of the actual dynamics and composition of what the working class is so you're telling me that black people who vote democrat are not part of the working yeah they're class. all the elites oh abby that's the because it's they've that's how much they've moved the needle where everybody to the left is an elite worshiper or somehow part of the elite everybody to the right is a blue collar everyday salt of the earth person i mean that's honestly like the perception that they've been able to create i mean it's crazy but that's where things that's how bad the you know the the po- political situation is now and what about the the people who don't engage in politics? Yeah, exactly. What about half the country who are non-voters? Or remember the like, whole independent, when you see polls, there's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not even top factored in. Everything has just become... It's become sucked into these framing traps like a magnet every time. I mean, even this Ron DeSantis stunt, I don't, I don't know if you want to talk about that. But yeah, like, why don't you get into it? I yeah. mean, like this... So he flew a plane full of, I think it was something like 100 undocumented immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. He claimed he was going to drop him off at Camp Malay Harris's like front yard or something. I don't know where he actually dropped him off, but he dropped him off like in a Martha's Vineyard neighborhood. Wait, did he pay like taxpayer dollars? Like pri- fly this Florida. private plane? Florida. Fl- wow. Taxpayers paid for it. And it was illegal. Like you, he couldn't do what he did, technically speaking. Now, what's fascinating is even people who should know better, um, are acting like this is such a hilarious, like, man, I don't love DeSantis, but, like, this is, like, such a fucking great way to just, like, just fucking rub it in the faces of the elites of, like, how much hypocrites they are for not wanting these undocumented immigrants in the in their neighborhoods in Martha's Vineyard, but, you know, I should have to deal with them in my neighborhood in Florida. You know, like, it's, it's a very strange thing that it is really... It's basically, in my opinion, what it's done is it's elevated DeSantis to he is willing to do things that are like Trumpian level genius to just really stick it to the elites. I mean, and I I don't even remember Trump getting this kind of publicity for a single stunt like this. 
I mean, it was unanimous. Everybody on the right loved it. They thought it was just, you know, amazing to, to stick to the elites. And even like all these libertarians who, again, just seemed to love Ron DeSantis were also saying the same thing. And on some level, it's just like, how do you not see, like, why is it that somehow you can fall for this stunt? I'm not even saying that Biden, uh, you know, is any better on illegal immigration. I'm saying that how could you fall for this stunt in the sense where you believe that DeSantis is not an elite, like it's him versus the elites again. It's like these these so-called populist right figures always manage to pull the wool over people's eyes and make it seem like they are separate from the elites and they are genuinely you know, against uh, these elites, even though Ron DeSantis embodies some of the worst tendencies of the so-called elites, especially on these like foreign policy and like imperialistic views that he has um, on things like Cuba, South America, China. I mean, so it's very strange. He's actually like Trump is actually better in in my opinion, in terms of the things that I actually believe in than DeSantis. DeSantis to me represents something much scarier. So I think, well, like you said, this is the operation. It's like, it's, remember we talked about this. In yeah, the, to pull the last people back into the neocon yeah. orbit yeah. completely. Paradigm. Yeah. I mean, that's what it feels like to me. It feels like, I, and uh, that Trump is not really, if we're going to look at this like, you know, the president's like a, a horse that gets like picked by people who want them to win the race or whatever, I don't think Trump is the pick. I think DeSantis is the pick. I think that regardless of how libertarians feel or people feel who are like, yeah, man, he really was like sticking it to the fucking lockdown elite, lockdown liberals, regardless how you feel about that, I do think it's pretty obvious that that is not, it's not like a threatening position to take and whatever it is about him represents something that is safer for like a programmed, you know, series of policies than it would be to pick someone like Trump. Trump is too much of a wild card. It's really that oh, yeah, simple. Yeah, no, of course. Well, no, and, and Mike actually found something really interesting. He saw insignia on Ron DeSantis from his military um, period that he doesn't really talk about very much. And so he looked into who what he was doing during the Iraq uh-huh. War. And apparently Ron DeSantis was the lone legal oversight for Tr- special operations in Fallujah mm-hmm. during the troop surge. He was tasked with quote, fair and humane treatment of detainees and military compliance with the law. So he had that same job at Gitmo during the Bush torture program. To me, that's amazing because when you look at what his actual, like we did an episode about him and and there's people who are like, his military career is like a mystery. Like, what did he actually do? Because now he's running as a veteran for governor, you know, that he's touting that. And then all of a sudden they had to like get all these new statements from people that sounded to me very, very like pre-written, like here's his backstory. And they made it sound right. like he was trying, yeah, he was there to be like the moral, you know, oversight to make sure they were doing things within the law. And that makes him almost <laughs> sound like he was this nuisance who was like getting in the way of all the torture and all the fucking egregious behavior. And it's just so funny to picture Ron DeSantis this neocon <laughs> crazy psycho neocon who hates Muslims, who fucking hates Muslims, <laughs> just like the most neocon as it gets, actually being in any way in effective at all. If anything, the only way I can imagine his position there was actually being like a shill for the other side, <laughs> like a of guy course. in that position to be like, 
like close his eyes, look the other way while someone's getting like fucking tortured in the same room as him. Like that, that's the only way I can imagine him playing that role. So it's fascinating that there's gotta be, what I'm saying is there's a lot more to his military history that we do not know. And I think it's really worth looking at. There needs to be like an on the ground investigation, especially if he runs for president, we hopefully will see one, but we're going to find out more stuff. I think that's going to be a lot different. There's going to be stuff about him that's going to come out. And there might even be more mysteries. Like we don't even know what he was doing for like six months. And then that's like, what was he doing? CIA? Like, what was he doing? Like, I mean, I what how I've read all of these quotes and stuff of military personnel touting his um, credentials. I read it as that he was overseeing some sort of the torture well, program. That's, yeah, because because it's too weird. It's like it's like you know how they put out the opposite True. rhetoric to mask what really is like the Clean Air Act, and it's really like, yeah. I mean, that's what I that's, that's what, what I, I got from it. From it it's too. all PR. Yeah. Um, very disturbing stuff though. And, and I just saw on the doc, this is incredible. You forgot to mention that Marjorie Taylor Greene has actually recently invested in several defense companies. Well, not recently is actually like the timing of it was quite strange. So this is a Newsweek what article happened? put out, um, in March of 2022. And I remember, you know, this was a, a very early indication that these people are non-serious in the sense that they do things rhetorically which sound, you know, trendy right now uh, to a certain sector of politics. And then what they actually do behind the scenes is not, you know, doesn't line up with that. So um, so Marjorie Taylor Greene um, actually purchased between, and it's not, the, the amount's not that high, but it's still noteworthy, between 1,000 and 15,000 in Lockheed Martin stock on February 22nd, 2022. And for some reason, she tweeted like literally the next day um, criticizing like military contractors, specifically uh, the, you know, and being involved in the war in Ukraine. Um, so it does just to me, it's not even really that surprising. Um, she said war and mm. rumors of war is incredibly profitable and convenient. And just like that, the media now has to lie to use as the reason for our shattered economy and out of control inflation. What a sad existence it must be to shill for globalism and America last politicians. Um, clearly that wasn't written by her. I don't even know if mm -hmm. Milo Yiannopoulos would have written something like that, but there definitely is some kind of person behind her that is sort of, you know, tapping into something that's Trumpian, uh, that's working for her. So, uh, but yeah, it's, I guess it's just, where is the substance? What is the actual reason why we are supposed to believe these people actually legitimately oppose war? That's the question I still don't understand. Is it because she's not voting to send money to Ukraine? Well, that's that is, I mean, that in of itself, I don't agree with sending money to Ukraine, but that's not, that's not a reason to believe that's that she's enough. actually anti war. And yeah, it does suck that Bernie Sanders. And people like AOC actually voted for those things. Like it does look, it, it does look really bad for them. And it's, and it's very unfortunate that there's nobody, you know, no Democrats who are strongly standing up. Um, but that's not a reason to be like, well, like both, like that's still, what I'm saying is both parties are still fucking horrific. Like there's not a reason to like, to have it, you tip a little bit in the other direction and be, be maybe like, well, maybe actually like voting for a Republican this year is what I should do this time. Like, there's no reason to actually go there. 
Like, you should take the same stance that you do about your vitriol against Democrats. Don't vote for either of these fucking parties. So that it's so it's strange that it's just tilting more and more in the other direction. Less about third parties, more sort of soft and even direct praise for these Republicans coming from leftists to the point now where it does seem like there is, is an opening now where I could actually see, like, people who maybe even voted for Bernie. I wouldn't even have believed this four years ago, but now I can actually see it. The people who voted for Bernie four years ago could actually vote for a Republican like DeSantis now. I could actually see it happening, and that is pretty fucking weird. I would say the vast majority will yes. not, but you're no, absolutely you're, right. You're right. This yeah. alt-left alt label mm -hmm. that seemed cartoonishly false and a way to discredit all Bernie supporters yes. and all leftists as you aptly pointed out, like it, uh, it, it, it has come. It's almost true. like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really sad because I remember at the time thinking this is so fucked up. You know, these people aren't defending Trump. They're not defending Republicans. They're just really pointing out all these things about Hillary Clinton. They wanted to paint everybody with this broad brush that if you didn't talk about Trump enough, or if you didn't lift up Democrats enough, you, you were somehow alt left and, a secret Trump supporter, but fast forward four, five years later, and I would say 50% or more of those people that were painted with that broad brush actually did exactly what the fucking shitty liberal media pundits said they were going to do. Like, that's that's not good. Like, I, I don't care how much you hate liberals. It's really eerie to see those people following that exact trajectory and eventually becoming Trump apologists becoming weirdly fascist like over time it's it is creepy i think it really can be explained by the broad support that bernie did pull into his camp because of just disaffected people in general and i think that the majority of the people that we're talking about never really had a core left progressively rooted ideology beyond just kind of cynicism and nihilism and when you see you know like this kind of religion of like reflexive contrarianism against liberalism it just becomes just deeper it's like almost like spiteful it's like spite has driven yeah. <laughs> them oh, yeah. to like into the into the arms of republicans it's quite fascinating and bizarre and i'll never understand it because i'm a progressive through and through like i i have core principles that i adhere to like i I'm a leftist, you know, and, and my anti-war values and anti-imperialist perspective comes from leftist, um, a value system that is like rooted deeply in left politics. So I, I will never and can never get swayed by things that try to co-opt the language of like radicalism. And, um, but unfortunately a lot of people have. And, and I, to me, it's even more simple. Cause like, I can't say that I'm a convicted leftist in the sense that I, I even stand on like a Marxist ideology. For me, it's like, it was my trial by fire, I guess. was like, I'm shocked, I guess, that anybody who's even remotely to the left that lived through the Bush administration and experienced that era can look, can move on from that and be like trusting someone like Tucker Carlson now. Like to me, that is so beyond a level of logical understanding for me it is it, it, i just i'm i can't even articulate anymore but like that is part of what is what fuels me today is it's like how can you not see how much the right wing sphere is a very significant 
very strong force in this country that moves the empire, that moves the foreign policy, that moves all these things. It doesn't matter how it's posing now and pre- how it's pretending to be now. It, it's the long view. This shit is all, it's not going to get any better. It's a long yeah, con. It's, I just yeah, don't, and, and look what they're doing now. There's a judicial coup. Yeah, right and I'm not wing. saying like, that. This is happening I'm now. I'm not saying that to say that the Democratic Party is not running a long con on us too because they, they're getting seemingly worse too. It's just that to trust anything you're seeing and, and take it on faith is just so naive. I just do not understand how people could do that. I mean, uh, but anyways. I mean, it's the resorting to magical thinking and, and being susceptible to propaganda. It's just the other side of the coin. Yeah. You know, while thinking that you are somehow heads and shoulders above, like you're, you are the soothsayer. You can see the propaganda. You don't buy into mainstream narratives, but you just are completely trustworthy and have fallen victim to the right wing um, dogma and propaganda machine. And it's, it's really sad to see it, but we'll just keep moving forward. And Robbie, we'll just keep moving forward and doing what we do and calling out both sides of the coin. Like we always have. Do you have any statistics about how much money has gone to Ukraine? Cause it seems like every time I do look into this, it's just billions of more dollars like every week. I think it's a, it's just an outlandish. Well, amount. I think, I don't know the whole total of money that's gone there yet, but it's got to be at least $10 billion by this point oh, yeah, or more. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we just now send amounts like 300 to $500 million very casually without almost any, barely any coverage. No in one media blinking an eye. When that was initially a very contentious debate for years that was very held up for a long time until Trump got into office, even though this bill was signed. Uh, it did not pass the executive level. Obama did not sign it to law. Held up for like three years or four years or something, which was initially like, should we send $300 million to Ukraine or not for these um, defensive weapons? And that was such a controversial thing that it was like, and it finally kind of eked through, but and now it's just like nothing. And it happens, it does seem to happen almost like on a, every other day you hear of that amount being sent. So that's, frightening how normalized um and how i guess just how commonplace that seems now uh and we've kind of and i feel like i've kind of tuned it out almost just out of just pure you know just from my mental health like i don't keep track of the day-to-day in ukraine because it's scary to think of like world war three or those kind of things right now for me but i i mean i don't really have i don't know i mean i don't even know if it's you know, and I don't even know what to believe. Everyone's like, oh, you, Russia's losing, Ukraine's losing. People say Putin's dying of cancer, and that's why he's ultimately not going to win the war in Ukraine. There's all these, like, rumors circulating. I don't even know what to believe anymore, um, you know, so. But do you want to sort of close this out with um, with the Trump indictment? or? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say just how I mean this point's been belabored a bunch but it's just so crazy that at at the same time that endless amounts of cash is flowing to Ukraine and all these other countries frankly that big news came out about Jackson Mississippi being just another black majority city that has no running water that was yeah. on a boil water um, mandate and I mean pictures of this look like literal toxic sludge coming out of people's water fountains dogs can't drink this stuff it's just unbelievable michigan you know that the whole meme flint doesn't have clean water it actually does not still 
Baltimore is also on like a boil water basis. Honolulu, the Red Hill disaster. It's just like, what is going on? Like, I mean, isn't this like the sign of a failed state when cities, huge cities, capital cities of entire states don't have clean running water? Yeah, it is. I mean, it really is. And it's so funny. I'm even I'm thinking back to one of Trump's big, you know, seeming visions that he had for winning the presidency was he was going to invest all this money into infrastructure. Part of making America great again was he claimed it was about reinvesting into our infrastructure, like broken bridges, falling apart, whatever. Like he didn't do like literally did nothing like in that regard. (laughs) That's just a funny... Yeah, and then all the Republicans voted against Biden, tried to do that infrastructure bill. Not that yeah. not that it would have been good or anything, but like all the Republicans were just like, this is socialism. Uh-huh. We can't pay any money to like rebuild our infrastructure. I mean, I think it's just honestly going to continue to get worse. I'm, you know, I'm kind of hoping that it doesn't get as bad as it was here with the fires in California and the amount of dryness. But like, I feel like we're almost due for another major, you know, incident like what happened in couple years ago like i'm it just the record breaking temperatures i don't know if you saw those this year abby Mm -hmm. in death valley and Mm -hmm. parts of california i mean that's genuinely scary i mean that's and that's not getting very much coverage either like the that is a his that is a new precedent for the hottest temperatures ever on record in that area of the world i mean that's a big deal and one of the biggest you know it's like, it's funny too, because it's like, a, you know, I remember watching Inconvenient Truth and things, and the signs of when global warming and climate change will actually start to drastically affect the planet in serious ways was not talked about. Like, other than the ice caps melting and ocean levels rising and stuff like that, some of the other things that should have been talked about weren't. Like, people working near the equator doing like day labor, people like who who like work in fields like near the equator will literally not be able to work anymore if the temperature like increases by like one or two degrees. Like it'll like knock out like an enti- a huge amount of like agricultural industry like immediately. Like because that's how much of it's done in some of the hottest climates in the earth along the equator. Like there's just these little, and then the amount of dryness, the amount of uh, dryness in California, the lack of rain uh, combined with all this potential for fire, it's like, I just don't understand why it's not more alarming. But, you know, I guess that's just the way the world is now. Like these big, you know, people think oh, climate change is like a, you know, a liberal hysteria or it's like it's because the elites talk about it. It's not like something we should be seriously concerned about. It's a hoax or whatever. There's always like conspiracy ways of writing it off. I mean, I just don't understand how people just don't aren't seeing the writing on the wall just appearing in in the ways that I've just described, like just the temperature, record-breaking temperatures in California alone. I mean, it's it's pretty alarming. Um, well, yeah, and the, the electrical blackouts because of the overpowering of the power grid, that's a whole other aspect of the societal collapse that's going to coincide with the extreme temperatures and all of the extreme weather events. It's not just heat. Like there's basically a giant new lake that you can see from space because of how much Pakistan has been flooded. 30 million people have been displaced by the floods. Pakistan ranks eighth among countries most vulnerable to the climate crisis, despite contributing like less than 1% to global emissions. 
and it's been completely devastated. I don't know how Pakistan's ever going to recover, honestly. Like, it's beyond comprehension how this huge country um, has been completely damaged just by one season of flooding. And I think that the cataclysmic effects that we're already seeing taking place are so big and so hard to wrap your mind around that like people have no choice but to completely detach from it because it's like the rapidity of and the escalation that has happened this quickly just over the last couple of years of climate catastrophe and climate change effects like in places like Pakistan and here you know you're talking about these extreme weather events the fires all of this is just going to get worse Puerto Rico's underwater they haven't even recovered from the last hurricane so I it it's going to get really bad and every year there's not just going to be one country that's incurring this kind of disaster it's going to be simultaneous disasters that are like you can't fix I mean it's it's like too late and we need to stop thinking of climate change as, oh, we've, you know, we're past the point of no return. So we like, who cares? It's like, no, every change that we take today can mitigate how many people are going to be displaced, how many people are going to be killed, how many of these extreme weather events are going to happen. Yes, we've already gone way too far past the breaking point. That is absolutely a fact. The one degree warming, we're going to be up to like two or three especially if these methane burps and all these other anomalous things could happen at any given time that will completely dramatically move that temperature up. But the thing is like, what are we doing and and how are we going to like wrap our minds around this? And, And the fact that the global economy just continues to fucking go on as if nothing's happening. And it's just so dystopian and surreal to see actual environmental collapse. Like, it's no longer 2050 or 2070. It's like, this is fucking now, dude. This is crazy. This is way crazier than I could have even imagined one year ago. Like, it just keeps getting more nuts. No, and I think I think just living in California really illustrates it. I think the fires, honestly, for me, I, was, I believe in climate change being, you know, a coming calamity that's going to really disrupt things. But I did not, it didn't hit me as viscerally until the last few years. It's like now it's just so much more clear that there are so many other factors to this. And, you know, to have it explained to you in a documentary movie, it really does oversimplify just what, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. It's, it is an abstract thing. It is hard for you to wrap your head around. And I guess for me, it just, you know, it's just extremely hard to not be concerned about it now. Like in my lifetime, maybe I was, maybe that was it before I was able to be like, maybe not in my lifetime, this will be, you know, a serious concern. So I like kind of was able to put it off in the distance, but now it's like, no, this has already become, like I did not, had no idea it was going to become this concerning this quickly. Sort of feel like the rug's been pulled out from under me. I mean, it's kind of a shock. So no, it's true. It's really disturbing. The heat, uh, the heat waves, all the people who are going to die across Europe, people who are already suffering from these effects. And what I'm, I feel like it, what's really going to be a shock factor is kind of like similar to the beginning of the pandemic when, you know, like Walking Dead, everyone just goes and gets ammunition and arms themselves and goes and wipes out all the grocery stores. Like that shit's going to happen at, 
like with no notice at all in several different pockets of the world as these calamitous events continue. Like, I mean, even I was just talking to my friend who was in Laguna Beach when like the electrical grid shut down because of how overpowered it was by everyone running their ACs. And this was just like, it was like 110. And it's like, yeah. And he said within like one hour, the grocery stores were like emptied. And it's like, we have not wrapped our minds around what is coming. What's going to come societally speaking? Forget about like your house burning down and people dying in the heat. Like I'm just talking about like societal collapse. Yeah. And that's, that's going to be really bad. It's crazy, dude. But and there's so much more to talk about. I mean, I have the whole Cuba trip, which we'll have to cover next time. There's a lot more to say about that. Um, the movie stuff that we're progressing on the movie dosed, having some really cool conversations on that, that are really interesting. Talking about the cosmic scale how our universe could have been birthed by another, uh, by a black hole, a parent universe birthing our universe uh, through a black hole. Oh, really yeah, trippy shit. That. Yeah, that was good. Check that shit out, dude. But Robbie, let's let's wrap it up with the raid because I did not follow this, but I will just say that my takeaway, peripherally speaking, from seeing just general coverage from social media is that this is just another instance where Trump committed a crime. Shocker. But nothing's going to fucking happen to this guy because he's made of Teflon. I mean, to me, it, it seems a little bit different than that, than the typical, that typical pattern playing out. But I could just go into quickly, like, why yeah, it seems a little it. different. Well, like, I think it needs, there needs to be some preamble about this Biden speech. Because um, I okay. still don't know what to make of exactly what the purpose of it was. But I'll just say Biden did, if people didn't see it, or weren't paying attention. Biden did the surprising and ominous looking speech um, that was in a weird, weirdly not televised on a lot of networks that normally would have televised a live Biden speech at night. Um, I think like some of the major networks did not televise it, which is kind of strange. I don't know what to make of that. But it had this bright red light behind him sort of casting onto the White House. I think it was on the White House lawn. And it was essentially about how the MAGA movement poses a threat to democracy. Now, that may not seem like any different from what he said before or what the January 6th hearings have been about, but I think it was it was different in the sense that he didn't really seem to emphasize a whole lot, at least not one that I thought was like easily able to be taken away. Like it wasn't, the, the takeaway from it seemed to be that there wasn't enough of a distinction made between MAGA loyalists like MAGA people and like just conservative people who voted for Trump. So this whole, this opened the door for the right to run rampant with the premise that he was further demonizing conservatives and even saying that, you know, implying that there were political enemies like domestic terrorists. Um, my personal take on what the speech meant was that it was a bit surprising timing wise. Uh, like it kind of seemed like it came out of nowhere at first, and then when I thought about it, I was like, well, no, this is coming right off of the heels of this Mar-a-Lago raid. So unless it was maybe meant to send a message along with a possible future indictment of Trump or his close allies, that may make sense, like the timing of it. Uh, but if this was the case, um, it could be seen as posturing warning shot, like, you know, we're kind of coming for you kind of a thing. Like, don't like almost like preemptively kind of almost laying the groundwork for if there's unrest or a pro-Trump uprising, if he gets indicted, 
we're going to like shut it down. And that, and that's not like the wording was not at all like that, but I feel in a sense, that's what one way could be interpreted. Um, now, if this wasn't it at all, and it was just optical, you know, political posturing, it just came off as a much more unnecessary sort of kind of salvo than like, even like Hillary's deplorable speech did like seemed more intense that he did this kind of speech as president at this time. Now, this was followed by, you know, not followed by this, this speech followed the raid. The raid in general is about uh, that Trump was, had unclassified documents at his home. He was storage, storing them illegally. And then he also was storing documents that were not classified also like in sensitive areas that was not legal, legally to have them there. So there's like two different versions of it in the same reason why they raided him. So on one hand, Trump's, you know, main legal defense initially, and it wasn't even his lawyers that said this, it was him who was like tweeting this and saying this on social media, that he can declassify anything he wants. Like he's president. Like if he says it's declassified, it's declassified. Now that's technically true in a general sense, but apparently you can't just, president can't just say something's declassified in a room by himself and it's declassified. Otherwise, then you then you can almost make, put it like all the way to the inside the president's head and be like, well, if the president wants it to be declassified, he doesn't even have to say it, it's declassified. I mean, that's how silly the legalese gets when you try to really peel back all the layers of this. But that's what Trump is saying, kind of almost like Nixonian defense. Like if I did it, it's not illegal. Like if I want to declassify, it's not declassified. Mm -hmm. That's apparently not the end of what he the wrongdoing that was committed. Apparently these other documents just being in his possession there that weren't even classified was like illegal as well. That's my understand. That's as far as my understanding goes about it. There are apparently documents in there alleging the nuclear capabilities of a foreign power that has a secret nuclear program. A uh, bunch of people were inferring that he has some documents saying Israel has a nuke program. Sounds unbelievable to me. He's got some documents apparently there that somehow could benefit Saudi Arabia. There's all these rumors circulating about what it means. Maybe these documents benefit Putin, you know, whatever. I don't really give much of a shit about that. I would just assume that he is really sloppy. He's dumb. He really did seem like he tried to flush pieces of paper down the toilet. I don't know if you saw those pictures. <laughs> like not even like things written on like tissue paper or napkins or like actual like pieces of like lined paper he tried to flush down the toilet that didn't go all the way down the toilet and there are pictures taken of it in the white house anyway i mean anyways <laughs> he does seem like he would be dumb enough to do this and i think this is something that was also noteworthy and i don't even think a real you know republican spinster would be able to spin his way out of this confrontation ask any of these people ask any of these people who understand the legal predicament he's in right now what is his legal defense? And they actually may have a hard time answering you because what's fascinating, Abby, is even one of his impeachment lawyers talked to the New York Times and says he needs a quarterback who's a real lawyer, uh, said David Schoen. And he said, Mr. Schoen still calls it an honor to represent Mr. Trump, but said it was problematic to keep lawyers rotating in and out. That's a very, very polite way of saying that Trump somehow does not know what he's doing to hire the right lawyers. 
Now, why would he not know what he's doing? It's just because he's so hubristic and egotistical. He just wants to do whatever he wants and won't listen to people. Yeah, that could be part of it. But he was able to get people before, right? Like some of the impeachment lawyers he had were pretty highfalutin big lawyers, right? So what's another reason why he's not able to get a strong you know, representation, even like bringing his lawyers to the press to speak for him right now? That's not even happening right now. I think the the answer comes up in the same New York Times article that this David Schoen guy was quoted in. Somehow he's like broke. He's like he's out of favor enough where even these like lawyers who are sleazy as fuck don't even want to represent him just for their own reputation. Like in private, they know that he's a liability for them, even though like all the Republicans and all these people are still acting like he's being victimized and like railroaded. So that's the fascinating sort of weird divergent reality happening here is if Trump really did have a serious legal defense against this, we would have already seen a lawyer or some lawyer put something in writing. Instead, if you actually look at the filings, there are all these like weird random lawyers who aren't very big that he has, like throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks in these like filings defenses um, since he's gotten uh, raided. So that's, I, I mean, I just, that's all of it in a nutshell, Abby, what seems to be happening is it feels like, oh, and then I guess the one last part of that that I forgot to mention is that Trump himself actually said that there's going to be serious unrest in this country if they do indict him. Um, so again, he's sort of warning or threat, you know, kind of making a threat. His actual quote was, there will be big problems like we've never seen if he's indicted. Um, so I don't know. What's your response to all that? Cause that's, do you think that they're sort of preemptively th- kind of implying that he is going to be indicted or, or could this almost be like, let's rattle the cage to make him go crazy again and do something stupid. Like, could there be part of that going on? Like, what do you think is that? Cause I, I agree with you. I don't think he's going to go down. Like the idea of a real I mean, indictment. It's really hard low. to say. I don't know. I, I honestly don't even fucking know. I mean, it's hard to say. I, I don't think that they're just rattling the cage because it does seem like a really egregious thing to do. Uh-huh. But at the same time, it weren't. I heard other people saying that they were like trying to get these documents for months and months and that he like refused to hand them over. So it's not like it was them wanting to raid Mar-a-Lago or, or was it? I mean, was it like kind of a PR thing to just try to rattle that's, him? Well, that's, or was he refusing to give over these documents? I think that, it, you know, it's really, that's a really good question. I think overall the Biden, you know, the Justice Department is already in, even if they're, this is all noble and above board and completely like not political, it so has the perception of being political simply because it's like the president who just got out of office being in, you know, uh, raided by the justice department of the current president. So it's like by its very nature, they're in a predicament with that. So it's like, that's really all Trump. I feel like he can use to quote unquote, defend himself. And when I say that, I don't even mean in court. I mean like in the media. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In the court of yeah, public opinion. That That's the thing is that it's such a crazy egregious maneuver that you would think that they would have to have something airtight to really finally bring him down or indict him or yeah. something. And I just don't, I don't think that it's there and it's just going to further embolden Trump and help him 
with PR at the end of the day. You're right. You're I have right. no idea, dude. It's cra- especially if he doesn't go down. Crazy. I mean, if he doesn't go down, oh, yeah. then it'll absolutely 100% will. And they're also like seriously going after all these other people. I mean, they even took Mike Lindell's phone. It's all the conservatives mm-hmm, getting mm-hmm. all outraged about that. Bannon was in handcuffs again. Um, I don't even. I, he's not in jail yet, but he had to go in for like another arraignment hearing or something. He's he's facing charges. There's a lot of stuff still being done, and these people probably did commit crimes, but at the same time, like what, what it does seem like there's a showy element to some of it, and is it meant to provoke a reaction out of them? It does almost have the flavor again, and this is the tinfoil hat version of like a factionalized, almost kind of like in like a deep state war, like spilled over onto the surface. Not saying it's a deep state coming from Trump. I'm saying that like. Why, it, it does seem like there's some war still going on between power factions in this country. And that's, I mean, I'm not going to, like, that's my sense of it, but I don't really know what I even really mean by that. It's just, um, it feels, to, you know, like that to some degree. And then Michael Flynn yeah. is just a total side note. He's out there now saying that he believes wholeheartedly now that QAnon was a government psyop meant to trick people. That's interesting because he was he, he swore an oath yeah, yeah. of allegiance to Q. It's just what they can change idiot. the goal, move the goalposts, and like change reality at any time. I mean, it's it is really fascinating. I don't. Yeah, Mike Pompeo's floating, running for president. Ron DeSantis. I mean, I hope I hope they all do because it's all going to crash and burn if all the votes are split between hopefully Trump, DeSantis, and Mike Pompeo. Mike Pompeo is going to be a complete flop, dude. I hope he spends a lot of money That's amazing on a presidential campaign. Um, I got to go. It was really great catching up with you, Robbie. There's a lot more to say, as there always is, and we'll have to pick up next time. Okay, Abby. Well, great talking to you, everybody. And um, as always, if you want to become a Media Roots Radio subscriber, you can do so at patreon.com slash... Media Roots Radio. Thanks for listening. Peace out.